Welcome to the Relationship as Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Lee. Outdoor adventure enthusiast, dog mom to Luna, world traveler, longtime meditator, espresso lover, and a trained somatic psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and certified coach. Talking about trauma doesn't have to be so daunting. From a connected place, we can navigate anything together. Looking forward to exploring with you today. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have Renee Hilliard here with us today. Renee is an intimacy and relationship coach and also a I don't know if I would say former MD. Is that the right term, Renee? I don't even know what the right term is, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's also part of your amazing background. And Renee is a teacher on my Creating Safer Healthcare course coming out not too long from now, a few weeks, and also an awesome, amazing uh, facilitator in my Embodied Coaching Experience course. So I just think the world of you, I'm so excited for everyone to get a chance to hear about the theme we're going to explore today uh, around burnout (laughs) and bring all of our trauma-aware knowledge to it. Renee, welcome. Is there anything else you want to share with us about where you're at and how you help people, anything you want us to know. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Shelby. This is really wonderful. Um, I've enjoyed so much being part of your your programs, both as a participant and then being able to facilitate the um, embodied coaching experience um, has been so wonderful, and I've grown so much from that role um, as a facilitator and then also helping um, – teach in this new program that you've developed, which is so wonderful and so needed. Um, and I, I sense how passionate you are about it. And I feel really passionate about um, helping healthcare workers create safer spaces too. Um, so it's just been such an honor for me to, to work with you in this capacity. So I love that. Mm, it is mutual for sure. Thank you. Where are you located? I'm in Northern California. Okay. So we're not too far. We actually, I actually know where you are, but I wanted everyone to know we got the opportunity to go to Squaw Valley this winter and I was snowboarding. You were skiing, right? Right. Yeah. That was such a great experience. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I always love when I get to hang out with people away from the screens. It's just so awesome to go on adventures. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then bringing even, I don't know if it was your experience, but mine just because we relate to one another in the embodied work to become more embodied in doing something like skiing or, or snowboarding was really fun for me just to be fully in my body. And I felt like it was a new level of, of uh, enjoying that experience. Yeah, Totally. And it's something that it was so clear that both of us have been doing that since we were like very little. (laughs) It was just so nice to be immersed in an experience that we both know so well and love so much. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Well, today we are exploring the theme of burnout, which at first glance might not seem so exciting. (laughs) However, part of the mission here in the relationships as 
medicine podcast is exploring what's real about us as care providers and the things that we run into um, and that we are human beings as well. And when we bring the concept of trauma-informed care and trauma awareness along with the concept of burnout, there's so much to be explored in terms of nervous system regulation and what contributes to it, what throws us off our game, what we have to look for in order to come back to our center to really be able to thrive. And this conversation isn't just about us working with our people. It's a lot of times our people, you know, like are working with burnout too. And so I'm excited to see where this conversation goes and um, what comes out of it. Uh, I'd love to just start with the beginning of your journey or earlier in your journey when you were a practicing physician and how burnout kind of showed up within the healthcare industry. Anything you want to say about that, either personally, professionally, or as the culture of healthcare and medicine? Yeah, but it probably started even before becoming a, a practitioner, but you know, during medical school and even before that in college, being a high achiever to get into that field, um, I just felt like there was never a time for rest. It was always, you know, trying to get to the next level, next level. Um, and, you know, tremendous amount of coursework to keep up with. And I, f I felt pretty equipped to handle that. You know, I felt like I could move at that pace, but there was really no sense of, oh, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself along the way. So I felt like I, you know, burned out somewhat during the process of, you know, just becoming a practitioner, but then definitely in that field, um, there is the sense that you can never make a mistake that, um, or there can be that, that you sacrifice yourself in order to care for others and, um, not a lot of space given to taking care of the provider, you know, caring for the providers is kind of overlooked sometimes. Um, and also, um, that that's normal, that there's nothing wrong with you, that you can't handle a tremendous workload, you know, the tremendous pressures of, of that field. Um, and there's not a lot of space until now to really talk about those things or get support around um, challenges. And, and providers have their own lives that they're going through as well, too. So, you know, a lot of times they're dealing with aging parents or um, challenges with children and those kinds of things that add to their stress and there's still that sense that I should be able to handle my life and handle my work seamlessly and I'm superhuman in some way and I should never be impacted by this huge burden that's placed on me and, you know, something's wrong or deficient in me because I'm struggling. Um, but I just want to bring that to light that a lot of people do struggle and many people either walk away from it or, um, you know, their health is impacted by carrying that much stress for so long. And I really want people to be able to care for themselves well so that they can care for others well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just felt my whole system and body just pressure cooking as you were talking about the load that is placed on people in the medicine and healthcare industry right from the beginning. I mean, even before, right? Before you're even studying to become a doctor, you have to be a pretty high achiever. And that that just gets wired into your system. 
And a lot of what we talk about in creating safer healthcare is not just about how do we support, embrace, meet, and care for patients that walk through the door, but also how do we be aware of um, our own trauma? And I'm speaking more, I say are, but I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I'm a care provider in a different sense, but not that many people talk about being trauma-informed in terms of the trauma that doctors and wellness providers carry. And we absolutely have to know how to regulate our systems and have space to not burn out and be part of that machine. And so that's one thing I'm really proud that we do, that we approach in the course and that you teach really well too, uh, about really humanizing the culture of medicine and the culture, the healthcare culture. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. And I think, I think that's, that's right on that. A lot of times we're not given the permission to take care of ourselves. You know, we're kind of placed in the care providing space and it's, it's a sense of it's always outward. I care for others outside, but not really focusing on the care that we provide for ourselves. Um, but also that um, most most care providers don't consider that they hold trauma themselves, both, you know, just from living, you know, most of us <laughs> have been through some things in our lives, um, but holding ancestral trauma or um, just the trauma of being in the field. Um, so, you know, witnessing horrible things or, you know, challenging things that happen all the time to other people. Um, if you're a compassionate person, which most providers are, you that affects you. Um, and so what I think sometimes we do to, to feel less influenced by that is to depersonalize the people we're caring for in a way just to protect ourselves, to distance ourselves a bit, you know, calling them patients rather than people that we're caring for. Um, not thinking of them as a human with a family and, you know, just, okay, I show up for this job, I do what's necessary and I kind of perform in a robotic way you know I don't bring all of me into the space I kind of reserve my emotions you know um and and I think we're trained to do things that way but I don't think that it um serves us very well and I think there's no real system until now to to be able to learn how to care for oneself and and to release a lot of that um trauma that that we take on as providers yeah Mm, I just, as you're sharing that, notice my own heart kind of aching for what would have to happen in a human being to be able to navigate all of that. And it would make a lot of sense that people would have to compartmentalize and not feel so human and shove things down and numb out in order to be able to provide care at that level of expectation and at the the way the system has been shaped yeah for sure and and we see evidence that this is a a huge issue um you know uh, care providers have more depression issues you know we know that dentists for instance have really high suicide rates and so do physicians um especially ones that are under a lot of stress so we know the end result of it. I, I've had so many colleagues that have ended up having 
medical issues unexpectedly, um, you know, carry these really heavy burdens like that. And I didn't want to be one of them. That's one of the reasons why I transitioned out of medicine is that I could tell that I was accumulating a lot of stress of pushing it down. You know, um, I wasn't, it wasn't on the surface. I wasn't aware of a lot of it, but I knew that it was changing me and, and I didn't want to end up becoming ill or, you know, having a breakdown or something. So I, I knew that it was really necessary for me to start caring for myself better. Um, and that it wasn't a weakness of, of mine that I couldn't carry that amount of stress day in, day out, every day. You know, um, there was one point that I didn't have a day off for two years. And at the time, I didn't feel like it was that terrible. But when I think about that now, I it, it sounds crazy to me, you know, that I could even function after two years of never having a day off, including weekends, you know, that that's nuts. But but that's the kind of um, situations that some of us find ourselves in, not necessarily that extreme, but um, or sometimes more extreme um, from watching colleagues around me the way that that, you know, they pressure themselves to always be extremely busy there's almost like a badge of honor that um, physicians carry for being the busiest guy in town or something like that, but um, not as much emphasis on taking really good care of ourselves so we can take really good care of others. Mm, my jaw literally just dropped hearing you say that. And like, I'm, I'm surprised, but not surprised. Just knowing you, though, personally, I'm just going, what, how? How, how is that even possible? I, in my private practice, um, supporting individuals, I work with, I don't know what it is, but a lot of physicians and midwives and gynecologists are drawn to working with me. <laughs> I would say the bulk of my practice are people in the medical field. And I hear this a lot. And it's just gotten me so curious about um, the level of trauma people carry in their own system and how that's supported. And my view of trauma-informed care, which I think is really unique in the trauma-informed care field, especially in the medical field, is that relationships are the medicine and that are that patients will consistently heal better and follow better treatment plans and show up and send their friends. Um, when the relationship is a trustworthy, connected, present, empathetic experience. And um, what I hear from so many people is that they just feel like they can't uh, um, as providers, that it's so hard to be able to show up with their full compassionate heart and feel safe enough to drop into their bodies and to move at the pace that feels good to them and to be able to receive people's experiences and stories that there's something one that they haven't been taught that <laughs> because it's really been trained out of them it's like a revolution trying to learn how to do this and two that it's actually something they really desire and crave but don't know how because because it's not something they've been taught trauma-informed care is just like a little several hour class about the act about what happens when you trigger a client or a patient, right? It's not this in-depth experience of knowing that when I can show up as my whole human self, regulated, centered, <sighs> available for connection, 
my patients or their patients um, experience is going to be so different and they're going to be able to access parts of themselves that are able to move towards healing in such huge ways. And this is just not something that is mainstream that I'm aware of. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I think what you said really makes a lot of sense. And, and a couple of things that you said, the, the relationship is healing. And I think we all sense, you know, a good bedside manner is better than a, better than a poor one. Um, I mean, all of us kind of would agree to that, but we don't realize how therapeutic the bedside manner can be, or, you know, the relationship between the connection between the provider and the, and the patient. And what has happened in medicine, in a lot of ways, it, it may not be under the provider's full control if they're employed. Um, there are institutions where I've heard that some places allow seven minutes for a visit with a patient, which sounds absolutely crazy to me. Like, especially I'm imagining an older patient like my mother who has a hard time, you know, articulating um, words after a stroke and having seven minutes with her to even get a taste of what's going on with her and then also treat it. That sounds like nuts to me. Um, but, and many patients, many providers have had a lot of pushback when systems like, you know, some of these big healthcare organizations have pushed for shorter visits and, um, and the, the responsibilities that providers have not only to provide care, but documenting on computers or technology that may not be, familiar to them. And it seems like they're always adding more things for us to do that are outside of the, the patient care um, experience. Um, but they don't ever take anything away. You know, it's like, here, do this too, do this too. So I, I get it that people are overwhelmed with what they're being called to do. And there isn't a lot of time to establish rapport or connection with the patient. But there have been lots of studies that have shown, for instance, that um, if you make eye con contact with the patient um, during a visit versus not, and they had these, you know, experiments where they were instructed not to make eye, eye contact, antibiotics are less effective, you know, even if the patient takes them. So we know that there's this huge impact of what we call the placebo effect sometimes, you know, it's encompassed in that, but also just the caring, you know, um, I mean, it's care, it's, you know, actually establishing care with the patient which I don't know that a lot of people see it at that level. They think of, oh, I should do these tests and I should give these treatments. But a lot of times they miss out on the part of the caring being part of the treatment uh, um, or what makes people well. So, yeah. yeah. We were talking earlier before the podcast about the ACEs study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. And how we know that the more people are impacted by adverse childhood experiences, um, the less likely they are to grow up healthy and thriving. And so when we, when we know that a patient has a high ACE score, uh, we can already understand, oh, wow, their care might look different. I might consider, uh, how they're feeling as they're showing up. Maybe they have medical trauma in their history. Maybe in their early trauma or in their early history, they've been impacted by trauma and that will lead to chronic health conditions. And 
um, multiple providers and practitioners and intakes and all sorts of things like that. And so when we just know that uh, when people are coming into our spaces, it can give us so much more information about how to slow down with them, how to help them feel like we're trustworthy beings. And because you were mentioning the placebo effect, and it's like, well, part of that is when I trust my provider, I trust my care, and I believe in the healing procedure or modality. And when we believe in those things, um, they work better, right? Right. Yeah. And my stomach was kind of in knots just thinking about it, that that um, most providers other than mental health care providers don't get a lot of background on somebody's upbringing or their social situation that they're in currently. Um, you know, there's sometimes a checkbox on a, on an intake form or something like that, but we don't tend to get into real deep conversations unless we're in the mental health care fields about people's circumstances and, you know, what they've been through and how much trauma they may be carrying. In fact, you know, the way that trauma is seen in healthcare, a lot of times it's presented to the providers as how to, how to cope with a difficult or challenging patient, you know, blaming the patient for being challenging when they're coming into a healthcare space, which in my experience personally um, with myself and with, you know, accompanying family members into healthcare spaces tend to be activating to trauma. Um, and I did, I wasn't aware of holding, you know, a lot of trauma. I wouldn't have considered myself a traumatized person. I, of course, you know, carry a lot of both from my, my work being a black woman in America. I mean, you know, I, I haven't found one that doesn't carry a lot of ancestral and personal trauma, but there are things that happen in healthcare spaces that, that, you know, make me recoil when I'm experiencing them or when I'm witnessing them, when I'm working, when I hear the way that people are talked to um, or treated. And um, I can only imagine, I'm familiar with healthcare, but I grew up with two parents that are doctors. My grandfather's a doctor. So I grew up being very comfortable in healthcare settings, going to hospitals, you know, on rounds with my patients as with my parents as a kid, but to somebody who has had um, medical trauma or is not real familiar with those spaces, walking in the door of, of a healthcare setting can be activating enough that people may present as problematic, you know, to their providers, but being able to recognize that and help to soothe that in somebody instead of cause, instead of calling them a problem or, or feeling like you have to fight them um, uh, or they shouldn't be the way they are. That kind of thing is, it's really horrible to, to witness that stuff. But I think there's a real opportunity now to make healthcare providers aware. And that's what you're doing with this, this, uh, program is make them aware of what trauma looks like in somebody it may not look the way you think it looks and how can I best show up to be able to, you know, stay regulated myself and then also help this person become regulated so that we can connect um, and, and I can care for them in the way that, that they deserve to be cared for. Mm. So many important things you just mentioned, <laughs> so many in a row. And I really want to highlight the experience. You know, you said uh, early on in what you were saying so many providers don't have the opportunity or time to know if this person has experienced 
severe trauma. And um, part of the course is we just, we assume people have experienced trauma and treat everybody that with that level of care. This is really why we're calling it like human, <laughs> human being awareness, because when you can't do that research, so much is lost. And in fact, a lot of ways people do ask those questions and do that research, it's not so skillful or trauma-informed anyways. It's like leaving a clipboard with the ACEs study in the waiting room. No, you know, there's uh, you're asking questions about abuse. Someone's sitting there in a public space with no one there to kind of like be emotional with <laughs> or, you know, just on an intake form, have you experienced the sexual trauma? Tell us, tell us all about it. You know, it, we have to really take into consideration how, what we're asking, how we're asking it. And if the person, if it's going to build trust and safety with the person, or it's going to put them in our care, already feeling on guard, activated, braced, etc. We have to think just how can we gather this information or can we just assume we need to give them the level of care we would give someone with just deep, deep trauma. And so I always go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important. And I think we recognize that on the level of something like a communicable disease, like, you know, COVID-19 or, or HIV, that you treat everybody as though they have it so that, you know, everybody's protected. So, you know, we understand caring for people in that way when it comes to medical illness. But with trauma, I think we need to approach it the same way that assume that that everybody has it. Because, I mean, in my experience, everybody does have some level of trauma, some more than others. But um, because we're in a stressful setting or because they're going through something stressful, it's more likely for that to be activated. And how do we hold somebody so that they're not, you know, being unnecessarily activated? And I think to expect that we're never going to activate somebody's trauma is unrealistic, but how can we move through healthcare spaces in a way that's less likely to activate people's trauma? And if we should unintentionally, hopefully, how do we manage that? And I think that's so important in this program, you know, teaching people things that they may not even consider would be traumatic to somebody like filling out things on a clipboard. Um, you know, uh, as a gynecologist, I remember there was a, a question on my, it was a pre-printed questionnaire that I, you know, purchased from some place, but it had a question on there. Have you ever been physically or sexually threatened or, do you feel safe or something like that? And I was like, nobody's going to ever check that box. And it was so rare, even knowing the statistics of how many people carry sexual trauma, how many people, you know, have been physically abused. And with my conversations with them, I would find out that they had been, but almost nobody checks that box. And so to say, okay, because they didn't check that box, they don't have that issue is, is not realistic. And you're going to step into some stuff that you might not, if you realize that, that, the way that you gather information is not going to get the whole picture unless you do it in a trauma-informed way. So, Yeah. Well, and the whole point of trauma-informed care or a big piece is that folks with trauma really need to know, like, why? <laughs> why are you asking me that? What are you going to do with that information? Um, is the, the Are the hands that it's going to be in trustworthy? 
uh, and it's like, what, what's going to happen? Where are we headed with this? Are you going to call the police? You know, like, is, it's going to be a big drama. Are you going to judge me? Are you going to treat me differently? And so when we build the relationship and then allow the information to emerge from there, it's a different way to hold it together. Yeah. I mean, even filling out the family history part for me, I go into a state of activation. I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't know much about my family history because we have a horrible relationship, you know? <laughs> and it brings up my whole history of like all the stuff with my family. And then also um, as someone with chronic health stuff, how many intake forms have I filled out with how many traumatic questions that people think are just benign, you know, asking me about, various pains in my bodies or surgeries or treatment that all comes with a traumatic experience that I've gone through. And so writing that out 15 times a year for new practitioners, I have to relive that every time. And so we really have to be mindful about why we're gathering the information and how we're gathering that information. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and even, when somebody does fill that out, are we using the information? You know, sometimes people are made to fill out a form and then nobody even looks at it. And so it's like, oh, you dragged all that out of me and made me go through all that, but nobody's even, you know, it's not even relevant to what I'm here for. And then I had to go through that experience and then it's kind of tossed aside as though it's not important, but it's it's just the most important thing to me. Um, you know, that can be traumatizing to somebody or, um, like you said, whose hands is it going to fall in? You know, that the person taking me back is going to see it and then the provider and then like what is done with that information? Is it is it going to be used to disrupt something in my life that, you know, I've contained as well as I can? Or is, you know, somebody going to dismiss it or, or make a bigger deal out of it than I'm ready to do today? Um, and, and so can, you know, those kinds of things don't occur to a lot of providers, but um, bringing that awareness in just so that, that you're making the experience as, as um, safe for the person as, as you can is really important. Um, even, even the places that conversations are, are held, even if it's about something that doesn't seem real private, um, can be activating for somebody who's, who's had a lot of um, trust issues and you know, doesn't want to have a conversation about things in the hallway or, or at the front desk um, or when a, a receptionist is on the phone talking loudly about a patient's issues, even if you don't know the identity of the patient, if you're sitting in the waiting room and you can hear this stuff, um, it can be really activating for us. So, um, mm -hmm. so just being mindful of those kinds of things. Yeah. Mm, gosh, these are so important. And we talk about so much of this in the course. We really break down the how to's. Um, we do, you know, some theory, but it's more like how, how do we show people, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's everyone from the receptionist to the techs, to the PAs, to the physicians, to the biller, you know, the whole community. And I'm just so loving this conversation with you. I feel like we could go a thousand directions, but I also want to hear about your, your path from an, being an MD to a coach uh, intimacy and relationship coach. And I'm curious, 
I mean, we're on the theme of burnout. We can keep following that or just whatever feels present for you that you'd like to share about that journey. Yeah. Um, so I think the main reason why I explored, you know, learning how to become coach was that I was seeing with patients. I had, I had moved from a really busy um, solo practice um, to a, a wellness care center where I had longer visits with patients. I had um, done obstetrics for 18 years, but I felt like I was becoming burnt out, just waking up in the middle of the night to go to the hospital in the rain and all those kinds of things. It, um, it accumulates on, on your system. And so I was getting to the point where I felt stressed out. I didn't feel as much joy from the um, job I was doing. And I just felt like it was more of a burden um, towards the end of that 18 years. And so I made the really hard decision to go to just gynecology and then doing a little bit of aesthetics on the side, um, just, you know, fun medicine on the side. But um, even that, I, I felt like, you know, seeing 20, 30 patients a day and um, operating on patients during my lunch hour, those kinds of things, like I didn't have enough time to care for myself well. Um, you know, I overate a lot of times, um, you know, so my weight was always an issue. I didn't have a lot of time to do things I love to do, like um, exercising, hiking and stuff. I would get out of work when it was dark. And so I didn't have time to do things I like to do. So part of taking care of myself and then just wanting a slower pace for myself, I went to a wellness clinic where I had like hour long visits with patients. And what I started seeing by talking to people more is that there were gaps in my knowledge as far as how to care for people with, with sexual issues, sexual problems, or intimacy problems, relationship problems. Um, so I wanted to be able to um, help people in that way, um, in ways that I just wasn't trained to do. So I went and got additional training and coaching, and I realized that that's really what I wanted to do with people full time. And it was hard. Um, you know, like there's a lot of identity that's tied up in being a physician you know you're seen in a certain way in society most people's parents would be proud of them being a physician and I come from a medical family so there was a lot of stuff that I had to to unwind from as far as you know having my identity really tied up in it and you know it's a lucrative profession so it, it feels good to be able to earn that kind of money and that kind of stuff but um, I realized that it was more important for me to be able to live well and to take care of myself well and to take care of people well. Um, and I didn't feel like the container of medicine was the way that I could best do that. So being able to help people get to the root of problems rather than just what sometimes I felt in medicine was like putting a Band-Aid on, on deep-seated problems that were caused by some really deep emotional issues or um uh, developmental trauma and those kinds of things. I, I didn't feel like I was equipped to handle that, nor did I feel like the container of medicine was the place where I could help people really unravel some of that stuff so that they could really be well and, and, you know, kind of restore wellness within their system, thrive rather than just, you know, help to put out the little fires as they showed up um, in their, in their system to be able to go and cultivate an environment where they could really thrive um, health-wise. And, and I, I feel like I do that now as a coach, and I, I really am proud of that work. Um, and I've had to do that myself along the journey. And it's not an easy 
journey for sure. But um, I think that's the way that we can cultivate real health is, is going deeper in the system like that. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious, you know, you came from sometimes not taking a day off in two years <laughs> to now being able to create a more spacious schedule. And we've talked before about having to get our nervous systems used to um, being in a different kind of rhythm and, uh, you know, we're almost bracing against burnout happening again or something like that. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that experience now as a coach. Yeah. So what I've noticed in my own system is that there is some discomfort with rest, you know, there there are quite a bit um, and somebody who is accustomed to being busy all the time, you know, I, I think of it that that busyness was probably an addiction covering up something. And when the business goes away, you're left with the something that you need to, to deal with. And sometimes it's anxiety or hypervigilance, um, just either from trauma in the system or um, just familial um, patterns of being busy all the time and never never having any downtime, never resting. So I've seen that in myself, that um, it's been a, a process of learning how to allow myself rest and, and ease in my in my nervous system Uh, but also there has been some fear in me of becoming busy again and becoming burnt out again getting overwhelmed again like I was in medicine and so with the new business it's it's very spacious at the time but there's some of you know some part of me that feels like it's bracing against it getting busier because I fear that even though I am in control of how busy I get that it will overwhelm me because I was in control of it before really um, I worked for myself, but I allowed myself to become so busy that I couldn't, couldn't manage my own um, sense of thriving inside myself. So that that's been a, a process that I'm, I, I would lie if I was saying that I was totally done with <laughs> getting to the point where I can fully lean into being at rest and that kind of thing. But um, but, you know, day by day, it gets easier to be able to really be still and, and you know, be embodied myself and, and just um, rest and recover like I need to. So, yeah, I think that's really common. I know it is for me building that trust muscle that I will create boundaries for myself that I will honor and take good care of and it almost prevents, I see this with clients all the time, the building of the coaching practice because it's there's a part of us that's not available to add one more thing to the schedule because that might mean 10 more things will go on next and then 20. And so celebrating those little wins of, look, I did honor my boundary. I did take a real break. I did allow myself to rest, have been huge for me because for me I also come from a place that's just go 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 busy 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 that I won't fail if I can just stay in motion (laughs) I won't have to feel what it feels like to stop where there's a lot of stuff in there when I'm more spacious and so it can be so much easier to just keep those wheels turning and so working with the nervous system around it's safe to rest it's safe to allow myself to have nourishment. It's safe to stop. 
for me has been really, really key. Have there been some tools for you that have helped be able to do that? Um, similar to that, but um, really challenging the stories that come up, you know, like, oh, I'm being lazy. I haven't done anything today. I haven't, you know, it's noon. I haven't gotten dressed, you know, taken a bath yet. And some of that is just old stuff I picked up from caregivers or whatever, but challenging that or just even the concept of lazy or the concept of failure has been really useful for me. Um, you know, like, is that even a thing? Like, you're still alive, so you couldn't have failed that badly. <laughs> so, um, so that's helped a bit. And then um, like do, doing certain practices that really help to foster that sense of relaxation and ease and, and flow, like breath work. I do a lot of, of breath work um, and um, listen to a lot of people that you know talk about mindfulness and that kind of stuff. But um, it's really just reminding myself what, kind of life I want to have you know like I'm really good at being busy but does it feel good to me and does that set me up to be as healthy as I want to be and you know it brings in other behaviors that I don't necessarily want to do like when I'm really really busy I tend not to eat as well as I want to I tend not to exercise as well as I want to sometimes I drink more than I want to and to cope with the the stress of it and I don't want to bring those things into my life to manage it. I'd rather on the front end keep my boundaries a little bit more solid so I don't get so busy that I end up, you know, bringing other behaviors in that, that are not the best for me. So just, you know, staying um, connected to that um, knowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's almost like creating a whole new paradigm. Rest is really a revolution. Uh, against, you know, patriarchy, against our lineages, against what we were taught in school, against so much. And so being devoted to that spaciousness is, it's beautiful. And for me, it's key, but it's not necessarily easy. I have my week off, or I work three weeks on every month and take two months off at the end of the year. And it I have to say the times off are harder than times on because I really have to be with all the things that are there, you know, when I slow down. And for me, what I run into is some, a part of me that just wants to go really fast. And so it's like, yes, how can I allow myself to feel safe enough to feel it all and to feel the whole imprint and history I care with me of you have to keep moving in order to stay with that sense of belonging or safety or love or whatever it is for each of us. This is such an important conversation. I feel like we could take it in so many places, but we have to start winding down. I would love to do some shameless or have you help me do some shameless self-promotion and <laughs> share anything of what, what it's been like to be in it, my programs and how that's, supported you in your personal or professional life yeah it's it's really helped me so much that it's hard to even narrow down um you know one thing to say so i'll, I'll say a few one is that the way that the, the containers you lead are is it doesn't position you as you know this big expert and then everybody else is the little you know underlings or whatever it's it's more that you're leading from from a 
position of recognizing people's wisdom and honoring them as experts. And I think a lot of people have never had that experience. I, I have rarely had it where I feel like, you know, what I offer is, is just as valuable as anybody else in the container. And so that has been a really lovely experience for me. Um, and gathering everybody else's wisdom too. It's not being taught from one place. It's like everybody has something to bring to the table and we all connect. Um, seeing that other people go through the same sorts of challenges I do, um, you know, if I'm challenged with something, most of the time when I show up in the group, there's somebody else that's bringing something very similar to the table to, to discuss about challenges they've had personally or with clients. Um, and I think that's really um, great to be reminded that we all go through similar challenges and we're not alone in it. Um, the other thing is just the amount of of really detailed um, teaching on how to be embodied. You know, it's a, it's a term that people talk about a lot, but from my experience in this program, the um, embodied coaching experience, I've, you know, actually worn that um, in my system and it feels like so much better to be able to focus internally most of the energy and then, and then, caring from some for somebody else secondarily but not you know not in the sense that they're not important but it's most important to be embodied and the care that you give from that place is a lot better and it feels a lot easier um, slower pace than what I'm used to um, delivering care so it's nice to be able to be in that um, kind of relaxed easy space when caring for somebody else and not being in that hypervigilance and um, and uh, always turning the focus outward. Um, and then the other thing is just the degree of thoughtfulness of all the different things that are experienced in care providing. For instance, um, something comes to mind is a lot of teaching around how to repair, you know, how to make a repair when we've either uh, intentionally or unintentionally caused harm has been really useful for me, not only professionally, but personally, just, you know, if you say something that activates somebody else that you can take ownership of that and actually repair it um, and not you know, throw a blame or, or deny it or run away from the issue. And it's helped me mature as a person, you know, being able to feel more confident in any interaction that if something like that arises, I can actually handle it, but also, um, I just feel like a safer person moving through the world if I'm able to take responsibility for what I might, you know, any harm I might cause somebody else. And that's been really useful for me. Mm. Oh my gosh. Just taking all of that in. I noticed there's a part of me that's like soaking it up and another part that's just kind of dancing. Like, Ooh, that's like a lot to take in. And I feel so moved that my programs are translating the way that I hoped they would. <laughs> and it's really coming through in a way that's meaningful. So thank you for taking the time to share that. I would love to hear a bit about how you help people, how people can find you and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm part of the, the creating safer spaces for healthcare workers. So you'll find me there. And then, 
in addition, I do one-on-one coaching with people around intimacy and relationships and really everything comes up in that, you know, relationship to self, relationship to family, relationship to work and all the things. But a lot of themes that are recurrent in clients that, um, that I coach is around perfectionism, around big life transitions, like leaving, you know, one career, um, to go to something else, um, or leaving partnerships, that kind of thing. And then also, um, around burnout, just because I've experienced that. So I tend to draw a lot of clients in who have been through similar experiences and help them kind of, kind of move through that. Mm, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing and that you keep honing what's really supportive for you, what helps you be able to really feel present and thrive so that you can show that to others so that you can model that to the rest of us and also support others to be able to do that. It's so important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to more and all the ways we'll be connecting. But for now, we are complete. Thanks so much for listening. Before you go, if you loved the conversation today, make sure you're subscribed and leave a five-star review so we can get the word out to anyone that this might be supportive or inspiring to. Also, if you're a facilitator, coach, healer, or therapist, Creating Safer Space is open for enrollment now. Go check it out at creatingsaferspace.com. If you're a medical provider or healthcare professional, check out creatingsaferhealthcare.com today. Bringing you accessible online trauma awareness and trauma-informed trainings brings me so much joy. Looking forward to connecting with you over there as you join me in this worldwide revolution supporting the folks who need it the most.